Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. For those of you who don't know, uh, this is Todd Casenza. He is one of the pastors from Living Word Church in Lansing. And we're very honored to have him. Uh, John Hamstra, Johnny Hamstra, is in uh, Crown Point at Cross Point this morning. So thank you for coming, Todd. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Todd, Lord. We thank you for living word and cross point. We thank you for bringing us together, um, Lord. We ask that you would just speak through Todd this morning. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. Good morning. What a tremendous time this morning. Wow. Um. I could just, sitting over here, I could feel the prophetic flow of the Spirit moving over us. I don't know if you could feel that, but it was just um, just tremendous. The encouragement, the testimony, you could just see the Spirit of God weaving different things together, in particular about bringing healing and answered prayer to people. Um, Penny, is that your name, Penny? Tremendous prophetic ministry. Thank you for that. Let the Spirit use you. Powerful, very powerful. Adam, thank you. Beautiful stuff. Very, very good. And I'm just, I'm impressed by the fact that your worship leaders are praying for you during the week. And I feel like the reason why we had a, uh, just a breath of the Spirit this morning is because of the prayer that's been going out over you guys. And so, uh, you know, when the Bible says to admonish your leaders, it's for that very reason, because they are laboring in prayer over you. And uh, God moves when we cry out. Let me say it again. God moves when we cry out. Yes. yes. I was just so struck this week at Living Word. We had uh, quite a miracle happen. Some of you may know Bob and Laura Hogan, who run our children's ministry, young children's ministry. Well, uh, Bob's father, um, quite elderly, was just in the final stages of his life, and his, his health was deteriorating, his body beginning to shut down. He had several things going on at once. For the last couple of months, they, they knew that he was going to pass soon. It was just a matter of time. As a matter of fact, for a couple of months, the doctors had been saying it'll only be a matter of hours. But he would continue to sort of rally at different points, and he'd get his strength back, you know. The most grievous issue for that couple was that um, this man did not know the Lord, Not only did he not know the Lord, but he outright rejected the Lord. So as they would try to talk to him and say, Dad, you're going to be going home soon. You need to know Jesus. You're going to stand before him. We want you to spend eternity in heaven. He would say things like, no, I want to go to hell. It's just the blinding deception of the enemy that people would actually say such a thing. And so obviously their hearts were grieved and... um, Bob told me that they had been praying for him, not just them, but other people that they had included. They had this large prayer circle. They had been praying for this man for 35 years to receive the Lord. 35 years. And uh, still the same sort of hardness coming from him. He didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. He was just, you know, he knew there was an afterlife. He just rejected God and just wanted to go to hell with his friends or whatever, you know. And... um, It was interesting. He ended up being moved into hospice care. And there's this woman who started coming to our church. She's a a nurse in hospice and started attending some home groups and stuff. And just a very kind woman. 
Um, I don't think she had actually even joined the church yet. Well, God had orchestrated it that she would actually be his nurse. They had moved Bob's dad into, back to his home and said, okay, now you're just going to have to have a hospice nurse come until you die. And so God just orchestrated it. Nobody planned it. It wasn't human intervention. It was the Lord. And so this, this nurse from Living Word would come and just care for him and begin to speak to him about the Lord. And I had just found out on, uh, I believe it was Wednesday evening, yeah, I was having dinner, it was about 7 o'clock, that uh, just a few hours earlier that this man had actually passed away. And so Laura called me, Laura Hogan, and she called me and she's like, I just want to let you know that Bob's dad has passed away, but I'm not crying because minutes before he died, this nurse just began to speak to him about Jesus and his heart was broken and he received the Lord just minutes before he died. And Laura was like, I should be really crying because I love this man and he's gone from us. But I can't because I know that he's in heaven right now. And she said on top of that, as soon as he died, his wife got very fearful about death. She's like, I don't want to die. I'm afraid to die. My husband's gone, and I know I'm going to be gone soon. And she just told her, you don't have to be afraid of death. Jesus died to break the power of death. And someday you'll you'll be with him if you'll only accept him too. So what happens? She received the Lord right then and there. So what's the testimony in that? Jesus told his disciples that we should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Can you imagine... 35 years of praying and crying out to God that this couple would come to know Jesus and he does it in the last minutes of this man's life. That that is mercy. That is mercy. I mean, this man under hospice care, his body shutting down, he had nothing that he could give to the Lord. There was nothing left that he could do for Jesus. He was on his deathbed and the mercy of God comes to him and saves him and frees him from his sin. And now he's going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and with his family. It's just a beautiful thing. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. So whatever it is that you're struggling with today, whatever it is that's heavy on your heart, whatever it is that you feel like has come against you, don't give up. Don't give up. God will answer. Even if it goes to those last minutes, God will be faithful to you. And you'll have a testimony of God's love for you and how faithful He is. You'll have a testimony of how powerful He is. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I just want to pray again. I know we just prayed. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your faithfulness. You do answer prayer. God, we thank You that not only will You answer the prayer of a dying man on his deathbed, Lord, but You'd answer the prayer of the living, Lord Jesus, you'd answer our prayer, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, we just reach to you right now, each and every one of us. Lord, whatever it is that we've come up against, whatever it is that we're facing, God, we just lay that before you. And we say that you are a faithful God. There's nothing, Lord, that you can't do. There's there's no sickness that you can't heal. There's no sin that you can't forgive. There's no obstacle that you can't help us overcome. Lord, your arms are not too short. There is no weakness in You, O God. You are able to do it. Thank You for that. You're the mighty God. 
You're the true and the everlasting Savior. Lord, we just relinquish ourselves to You right now. God, sometimes we try to answer our own prayers. Sometimes we strive, Lord, in our own selves to help ourselves. And we can't do that, O oh God. We can't. We come to You now and we say, Lord Jesus, have Your way. Have Your way. Have all of us. Lord, we know that You want us to come to You. Lord, all our struggles, our problems, our successes, our failures. Lord, whoever we are, we, You just want us to come before You and just relinquish ourselves before You. God, I pray that You'd help each and every one of us to do that. Lord, more of You and less of us. God, we thank You for what You're doing today. We say that we love You in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All right. Well, it's a, it's a privilege to be back again. Matt was just saying, hey, it just seems like you were here last week. <laughs> because I was. <laughs> it wasn't actually last week. It was a couple of weeks ago. And um, I don't make the preaching schedule, but I do love coming here and being with you guys. It's just a privilege for me. And uh, God is doing something special here. And I just love to be a part of what God's doing. So if God's doing something special here, this is where I want to be. Bless the Lord. Well, we're still in our kingdom series, right? The King and His Kingdom. And um, I believe Johnny spoke to you guys last week about Christ's kingdom in me and what it means to enter that kingdom. And this morning I want to talk about Christ's kingdom in me, what it means to follow Jesus and to obey Him in His kingdom. I think sometimes obedience, obedience to the Lord gets such a bad rap, you know. It's sort of like the bitter rind on the outside of the, the tasty orange, you know. We, we got to get through that bitter layer before we can get to the thing that we really want. And sometimes I feel like the enemy puts such a deception over the body of Christ that obedience is the hard part. Obedience is the thing that we really don't want. But if we can get past the obedience part, if we can just get that right, everything else is just happy and joyful and enjoyable, you know. And that's so wrong. That is so untrue. Obedience is not the, the bitter rind on top of the, the believer's life. It's never meant to be that way. Actually, obedience opens the door to God's goodness, to God's love, to God's power, to God's favor. And God has equipped us to obey Him. And I just want to talk about that this morning, that an obedient life is a joyful, happy, spirit-filled, life-filled life. It's not the thing that we don't have to try to get through. It's the thing that we love to do. God has built that inside of us. And there is power in living an obedient life. I think um, when I was here a couple of weeks ago, I took us back all the way to the Garden of Eden. And I talked about how God had set up this perfect place for Adam and Eve. And it was lush and there were trees and there was fruit and there was animals. And everything was working in perfect harmony. And the real intention of God at that time was that as Adam and Eve and, and their descendants and as the people began to grow within that garden, that garden would also grow. And it was meant to cover the whole earth. The whole earth would be filled with the glory of God and that, that garden would cover the whole of God's earth. And as people expanded, so would that garden go. And it would be a beautiful thing. And man would have, to have dominion over that garden. And that garden would be the kingdom of God. And so within that garden, that place of beauty, God's kingdom would begin to expand and, and go all over. And we know that that garden kingdom was spoiled by what? Disobedience. 
Adam and Eve did the one thing that God said not to do. God said, you can have everything that I've provided. I'm going to give you this one rule. Stay away from this one tree. Don't eat this one piece of fruit. If you do, if you do that right, if you can obey me in that one thing, everything else is going to be peaches. You're going to have a great life in my garden kingdom. Well, what did they do? They went and they ate the one piece of fruit that God said, don't eat. <laughs> Isn't that just like us? It's like God gives us everything, but the one thing that we can have, that's the thing we want. You know, we're willing to give up everything else just to have this one piece of fruit that's not very good. And so they ate the fruit, and that disobedience spoiled the garden kingdom. And so God's people began to grow and spread, and uh, they, they went into slavery in Egypt. God brought them out of slavery, and uh, God gave them His law because He still wanted them to obey. Even though Adam and Eve disobeyed, God wanted His people, the Israelites, to obey Him. And so He gave them His law so that they could clearly understand what God wanted and how they could practically serve Him and obey Him. What to do and what not to do. He made it very, very clear for them. And then on top of that, God enticed His people to obey with blessings and with cursings. If you obey Me, God said, I will bless you immensely. He said, I, you, you won't have any problems. I'll, I'll take away all your sickness and all your disease. Everywhere that you plant seed, there will be this lush crop. He said, one harvest will overtake another harvest. He said, all your enemies will fall before you. You can't do anything wrong. He said, if you just obey me, all these blessings will be yours. Everything you never had in Egypt, everything that you never had in the desert will now be yours. I'll bring you to a, a land where there will be so much resource for you. A land flowing with milk and honey. Everything will be yours. Every blessing, if you would only obey me. Now there is a scripture in Leviticus I want you to turn to. Le Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11-12. through 12. It's an amazing verse. It's an often quoted verse. But we need to see the significance in this. Leviticus 26, verses 11 through 12. God says this. Now this is as God is speaking out the blessings over His people. If they will obey, God says in verse 11, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Now let's consider this. As God is laying out all these blessings of the resources of excellent crops and the lush vegetation and lots of rain and great harvests. And then on top of that, God says, if you obey me, I will walk among you. What does that remind us of? The Garden of Eden. Because that's what the Garden of Eden was. Lushness, supply, plenty. God gave them everything they wanted. Plus, with that, God said that He would walk among them. He would be right there. God actually did that in the Garden of Eden. And God's saying it right here in Leviticus that among all the blessings that He would give them, that He would walk among them again. There would be a restoration of that garden kingdom among His people. Now with that blessing, God also gave cursing. He said, if you don't obey Me, if you choose to go in opposite direction, He said, I want to make this clear for you. Not only will you not have my blessing, not only will you not have my favor, 
But disease and sickness will come upon you. You're going to have wasting diseases. You're going to plant your seeds in vain. Your enemies are going to rule over you. The soil, it's not going to yield its crops. The trees are not going to yield fruit. You're going to get hit with all kinds of plagues. Food's going to be scarce. Your cities will turn into ruin. And in the end, you're going to be carried away into slavery. Talk about clarity. Talk about clarity. It seems pretty obvious. I mean, what would we do? Huge amount of blessing over here. Huge amount of cursing and death over here. I'm going to come over here, Lord. I want to be under your blessing and under your favor. But the Israelites struggled again. Again, mankind chose disobedience over obedience. God said, all these curses would come upon you if you didn't obey my commandments. Now, how many commandments were there? How many commandments did God give his people? Ten? Ten? No. No. The Ten Commandments were just the beginning. That was just the basics of it all. You know, religious people, not only religious people, but rabbis, Jewish rabbis, have counted 613 commandments in the Torah that they feel like have to be obeyed. So they actually call it the the 613. (laughs) If you go to a synagogue, you'll hear about the 613. Those are all the commandments that God had laid out in the Torah, the first five books that were written by Moses. And so God wanted His people to obey not ten commandments, but 613 commandments. Can you believe that? I mean, Adam and Eve didn't even get one right. How are they supposed to obey 613? You know, God's people failed because the issue was a heart issue. It was a heart issue. It was never about just an external outward trying to do things right. The problem was their hearts weren't turned toward the Lord. It's funny, you know, we're uh, in the stage with my son, Colin. He's two and a half. And uh, up until about one year, 11 months, and 364 days, he was a perfect angel. (laughs) He turned two. Honestly, I thought he was going to just bypass the sin nature. I didn't think it was going to happen to him. He would just remain an angel. No chance. He turned to, pow, all of a sudden, the sin nature is evident. You know, it was all about him. All of a sudden, this cute little boy was gone, and I had this ravaging little thing that just wanted everything his way. I'm like, where's my son? What did you do with Colin? And... uh <laughs> Right now, he's got this thing going on. So here, I'll give you an example. So here's what happened this week. So he's got a big old truck in his hand, right? I'm sitting on the couch, and he comes walking over with, to me, and he's holding the truck like this, and I see what's coming. And I'm like, Colin, please do not hit Daddy in the head with that truck. What does he do? <laughs> Pow! <laughs> Just nails me on the head. And I'm like, Colin, okay. Since you have chosen the way of disobedience, guess what? I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank your behind. What's the first thing he says? I want to obey. I want to obey. I want to obey. Anytime he knows a spanking is coming, it's the same thing. I want to obey. I want to obey. I want to obey. (laughs) What I really want to do, I really don't want to spank him. I want to have a nice, deep theological discussion with him. I want him to understand that his spirit is still unregenerated and he can't obey. It's impossible for him to obey. 
So he may want to, but the power is not resident within his spirit to actually do the thing that I'm asking him to do. He's like Adam and Eve in the garden. This one thing don't do. Don't hit me in the head with a darn truck. He's got to do it, though. (laughs) There's a theological reason for that. (laughs) Paul said it this way. He's still a slave to sin. Before we came to Jesus, we were slaves to sin. We couldn't help but sin. The only thing we could do was sin. Why did the Israelites get it wrong time after time after time again? Not because they were slaves to the Egyptians, but they were slaves to the sin master. That's what we are before Christ. Slaves to the sin master. That was me too. So I can't just blame my son because guess what? His daddy was that way before Jesus entered his life. I had to sin. I had to obey sin. Whatever the sin master wanted to do, I said yes. I just did it. Why? Because I didn't have the power within me to break that sin. Now we know this, that when Jesus came and when Jesus died on the cross, that He took our flesh, He took our sin nature upon Himself. And our flesh was crucified on that cross. And so that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. God didn't just take someone in slavery and set them free. He killed a slave. Just like a couple hundred years ago when slavery existed here in this nation was a horrifying, terrible thing, the only way a slave could get free was by what? Through death. Through dying. And obviously, that's not the best of of ways to get out of slavery. Because when you're dead, you're not living anymore. You're out of life altogether. But it is a cure for slavery, isn't it? Well, that's, that's we'll, that's what God's cure was for us. He crucified our sin nature on the cross. But He didn't leave us dead. What did He do? We then resurrected with Christ into a new creation. That was God's plan. So our sin natures died. That nature, that part of us that couldn't do nothing else but sin, that nature died. And we have that resurrection power, that resurrection life in Jesus now so that we are resurrected to a new life. Can you say amen to that? Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament because God had a plan for His people. And there's some very, very important verses here that I think everybody needs to know and even to memorize. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. Verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel was a prophet. And he was living during some of the darkest days that Israel had. Israel was actually in the midst of their punishment. They had been taken away into Babylon. So they were right in the middle of their punishment and they were still disobeying God. Even the pain and the suffering of their Slavery wasn't turning them towards God. But God is a God of mercy. Hallelujah. And so through his prophet, he spoke this. Verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
These are very important verses. God is speaking about the regenerative act that would happen when Jesus would come and He would die for us. Then the Holy Spirit would indwell us. But first of all, God identifies the problem. God identifies the problem. His people had a heart of stone. They had a heart of stone. Brought a stone with me. This is what was on the inside of God's people. Their heart was not a heart of flesh. It was a heart of stone. Interesting thing about stone, it's very unresponsive. It won't do anything. It won't say anything. It won't respond to you. You can talk to it all day. It's not going to move. It's not going to run. It's not going to compliment you. It's not going to do anything. It's a heart of stone. Stone is unresponsive. This was the heart of God's people. Now, I was thinking this morning, one of the worst marketing ploys, one of the worst products ever to be sold to the American people, this was years ago, I'm probably dating myself, was this thing called the, uh, the pet rock. <laughs> How many people had a pet rock back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, you still got yours? I can't believe we fell for it. For all of our brilliance, for all of our technology, the computers, the putting men on the moon and all kinds of stuff, we were sold rocks as pets. <laughs> Can you believe it? There were, <laughs> that had to hit what, the early 80s or something, Bill? It had to be, even earlier than that, maybe the 70s. Millions of us around the globe had one of these. We would sit in our rooms <laughs> and we would just pet it. <coughs> A pet rock, I mean, come on now. At least a dog will jump on your lap, you know? At least a hamster will go round and round in his little wheel. I mean, even a little goldfish will just move around in his bowl and come to the top when you feed it. A pet rock does nothing. <laughs> I don't, they were like 20 bucks or something. Can you imagine that? Some dude thought, I need some money. He dug up some rocks in his backyard, <laughs> wrapped it in brown paper, and sold it. And his kids are probably filthy rich right now. There's something wrong with that. But anyways, foolishness of man. A rock doesn't respond. My pet rock never responded. Whatever I would say to it, it didn't care. It was a rock. But God had a plan to rescue us from our pet rocks. God had a plan to rescue us from our hearts of stone. And he says this, that he would give us a heart of flesh. I like what the message says in verse 26. It says, I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed and not self-willed. This is not about change. This is not about change. So often, when I talk to people, counsel people or whatever, they're like, Todd, I want to change. I know I shouldn't have these addictive things in my life. I know, I know I should do this better or that better. I know I want to change. I need to change. What can I do to change? I'm like, nothing. There is no change. Don't change. Don't try to change. God doesn't want you to change. <clears throat> what? No. God's not looking for change. God doesn't want you to change. What does He want? He wants exchange. That's the whole point of the verse that we just read. God said, I'm going to take away from you your heart of stone. I'm going to pull this heart of stone out and I'll put something else on the inside, a heart of flesh. A heart that's not self-willed, but God-willed. 
A stone is very selfish. It only cares about itself. A heart of flesh cares about the things of God. So God's not talking about changing. He's talking about exchanging. Do you hear that? If you're struggling today, God doesn't want you to change. We get this thing in our minds. It's like God wants to improve us. That's what salvation is all about. Here we are before Christ. We're mean. We're nasty. We reject God. We hate him. And we think that salvation is God taking that person and just improving him and making him better. Making him talk better. Making him look better. No. That person does what? We already talked about it. Go to death. It's not about change. It's about exchange. God doesn't want to improve the old us. He wants to do what? He wants to give us a new person. What does it say in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anybody is in Christ, he is what? A better creation? A redone creation? A new model of the old self? No. We're a new creation. There's a new us that God brings inside these bodies. It's not change, it's exchange. And that's what the prophet here was prophesying about to the people who had rebelled against God over and over and over again. They struggled over and over and over again with going back to the same sin. Idolatry, lust, impurity. Instead of punishing them more, God said, here's your solution. I'm going to take out of you that old heart, that hardened stone that's in the center of your chest. I'm going to take that out. I'm going to do a little bit of surgery. I'm going to put a new heart inside of you. It's going to be a heart that wants me, a heart that loves me, and a heart that's going to be moved toward me. Then in verse 27, God promises that not only would He give us a new heart, but that He'd put His Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Holy Spirit would then do what? The Holy Spirit would move us, verse 27 says. Would move us. So not only would we have a new heart, a heart that desires, actually wants to do the will of God, actually wants to obey Him, but then God would fill that heart with His Holy Spirit and there would be a sense of unction and movement towards the things of God. Meaning it wouldn't be a chore anymore. It wouldn't be hard. We wouldn't run away from obeying God. Within our hearts, we would want to do that. And the Holy Spirit would move us to do that. The Spirit of God moving us is simply this, that we would be led by God's Spirit to obey Him. Being led by God's Spirit. I believe in these days when um, so many churches, so many pastors, so many Bible schools, so many seminaries, have worked so hard to get a hold of correct biblical doctrine, which is good, which is right, because we need to understand the Word of God. We need to rightly divide the Word of truth. But I just believe in my heart that the next wave, the next phase for God's church is to learn to really be led by God's Holy Spirit. It's not just enough to learn the pages. It's not just enough to know the doctrine. We have to learn how to cooperate with and move with the one that God used to write the stuff, the Holy Spirit. God says that He used His Spirit to inspire the men who wrote those pages. God wants us to be led by His Spirit. That's why He not only gave us a new heart, but He filled that heart with His Holy Spirit so that we would move with the Spirit, that we would be led by God's Spirit. And by that moving and leading, it would be our joy to obey Him. 
The Christian life is not just about not sinning. How sad a life would we have if the only thing we had to do was not sin? That was our only goal. Obedience is not about not sinning. Obedience is about being led by God's Spirit as He wants to use us, His people, to manifest and proclaim Him and to see His kingdom advance in the earth today. Being moved by God's Spirit, being obedient people filled with God's Spirit is about being a people of power. I said it earlier this morning that an obedient life opens the door to God's power. It opens the door to God's power. I just want to talk a little bit about being led by God's Spirit. Let's turn to Romans 8. Adam, I was really grateful that you um, encouraged the church to open up Romans 8. Powerful chapter in God's Word there. Let's go to Romans 8.5. You might say, you know what, Todd? I, I still struggle in my heart with obeying God. I am saved. I do have the Holy Spirit within me. There's still a struggle within me. Why is that? Let's look at what this verse says. Romans 8.5 says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It's a matter of what we're setting our minds on. God has given us everything that we need to obey Him. I'm sure everybody has a radio of some sort, probably in your car. And most of them are digital now, right? So if you want to hit a certain radio station, maybe Moody, 90.1, come on. Maybe ONU, what is that, 89 point something, 7, yeah. And so if you want one of those stations, what do you do? You just turn the knob, right? And, and you see the dial move and the numbers move until you hit 90.1 or 89.7. You tune yourself into that station. If you want a different station, you turn the knob and you tune to something else. Well, life in the Spirit is a little bit like this. We have to deal with our minds. And sometimes our minds want to go a different direction. We have to tune our minds into the Spirit. And so within our minds, our minds are like a radio station. We have these little dials, but there's only two stations. There's the mind of the flesh and there's the mind of the Spirit. If you're old enough, you'll remember that we used to have dials where, or radios where you turn the dial and there's this like red line and it would move. You just move it. You know, you turn the dial this way, the line goes this way. Turn the dial this way, and the line goes this way. You're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Come on, some of you are old enough, I know. Yeah, thanks, Polly. Come on, thank you, guys. But whatever you set that, that, that little line on, that's where the station's going to be. That's what your input is going to be. That's the music you're going to hear. Well, Paul is exhorting us here, if you want to live a life where you're living with joyful anticipation, wanting to obey God, you have to set your mind on the station of the Spirit. Sometimes when we get up in the morning, we've got all kinds of crud going through our heads. Nearly every morning, my wife Susan is telling me, I've got this song in my head and I can't get it out of my head. Most of it goes back to my son's like, uh, videos that he watches, potty training and stuff. That stuff. <laughs> those songs just get into your head. You can't get them out, you know. And so I told her, just, honey, just tune your mind into a different song. So I'll just start singing some other song. And she was like, no, no, not that one either. I don't want that one. <laughs> so I just roll out of bed and get in the shower and just leave her to the Lord to get a new song in her mind. But we have to get tuned to what the Spirit is saying. It's very easy for our, our minds to be tuned into the flesh. 
Paul is saying here, no, turn that dial a little bit and tune your mind into what the Spirit is saying. What, you know, whatever that tuner is set on in our minds, that's what our input is going to be. That's what we're going to hear. And he's saying, look, just tune your minds to what the Spirit is saying. You'll be led by the Spirit of God. I love Romans 8.14. It says this, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What that doesn't mean is that for all the men in the church who do the right things, they actually become sons of God and the women are left out. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. In biblical times, a son was an heir. I know it sounds unfair, but it was true. The son was the heir of what the father had. Whether it was a lot or if it was a little bit, the son received it all. Oftentimes before the dad would even die. The dad at some point before his death would just give all that he had over to his son. And so what Paul is saying here is that those who are led by the Spirit of God, men or women, will then become heirs of God. They would actually begin to enjoy and take hold of all the riches that God has. All those who are led by the Spirit of God, all those who tune their minds to what the Spirit is saying, will be led into every good thing that Jesus has for them. They will actually begin to enjoy all the things that we have as heirs, sons and daughters of our righteous King. You know what? Everything that Jesus died for, we can have now. We can have now. And I'm not saying that's a life filled with material riches and pleasures and things like that. I'm saying every sense of the power and leading of the Spirit can be ours now. Why? Because God has given us a new heart. He prophesied it back in Ezekiel. God has filled us with His Holy Spirit. Now the choice is ours. If we're led by the Spirit of God, we'll have this life of joyful obedience in which we'll be led into every good thing that Jesus died for. Every good thing that Jesus wants to give us. I often say this. As believers, we don't have any more excuses. I think the Israelites may have had one or two excuses. You know, they still had the old heart, the heart of stone inside of them. The Spirit of God wasn't living in them like living in us, modern day believers. All right, they may have had one or two excuses. God has taken all that away. What has He done? He's done the wonderful exchange. He's given us a new heart. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We have a new spirit. And that Spirit now leads us. We are to be led by the Spirit of God because we are sons and daughters of God. As we do that, we'll see some amazing things. Amazing things. I'll tell you what, it was the Spirit of God that led Bob and Laura to pray for Bob's husband for 35 years and to hang on. He led them. He encouraged them. Don't give up. Don't give up. You'll see God's faithfulness. And it happened. God was faithful in the end. That's the Christian life. That as we're led by the Spirit of God, there will be a sense of joyful anticipation and obedience in us. We'll want to do the things that God wants us to do. We'll be blessed. We'll be His people. We'll not only be happy, but we're going to march on and we'll see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray for you. Father, we thank You. Thank You for the cross. Lord Jesus, thank You that You died for us. 
Lord, that is the one thing that separates that Old Testament disobedience that your people struggled with, with New Testament life of having a new heart and having a new spirit within us. Thank you for the cross, Lord. I just want to pray for each and every one of us this morning, Lord God, that we would indeed believe these things, that we would believe, not my words, Lord, but your word, that we would now set our minds on what the Spirit desires. God, that we would know and believe that obeying you, obeying the promptings of the Spirit, God, stepping forward, being bold, taking risks for you, God, is a thing that will yield great reward, Lord Jesus, great glory for you. Lord, I just pray for us right now that you would just give us a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit. That we would be filled again. God, for anybody here who feels like their spiritual life, Lord, their walk has gone dry. God, I pray for them right now for a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit. God, that they would live a rich, Spirit-filled life. Lord, you said that as we walk with you, as we cooperate with your Spirit, it would be like rivers of living water flowing within us, from within us, God. I thank you for that promise. I pray that would be true for each and every one of us, Lord. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, but today. The reality of a Spirit-filled life. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that. If you feel in your hearts this morning that you just need a fresh touch from God's Spirit, a fresh impartation, if you feel like um, obeying the Lord has been a chore for you, if you're even afraid to step out when the Spirit moves upon you, I'd love to just to pray with you this morning. A couple of us will be up here. We're just going to agree with you and pray with you that God would fill you with the Spirit once again. And that following the Spirit's lead would be a joy to your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Don't be afraid. If that's you, just come on up.